Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I think we're kind of coming to the end of the vacation season. Now, some people, they go on vacation anytime they want. You know, us retired people, we just go whenever we feel like it. But with school starting and all kinds of other things that are taking place, it kind of is the end of that time together. We lived in Michigan for some time, and in Michigan they had a law. It was a state law that you could not begin school until after Labor Day. That was so that everybody could still do vacationing yet during these last couple weeks of August. Vacations are given by businesses and by groups to it kind of help people to, to revive, to be recreated, to, to kind of get be restored. And yet sometimes when we go on vacation, we almost get so stressed out from all of the hassle of living out of a suitcase for a couple weeks that we need some time off, we need some vacation to recover from the vacation. And that's sometimes the way it works as we struggle through the challenges that are before us. Today we're going to focus on that Old Testament lesson that Les read for us before. Old Testament lesson from the book of 1 Kings and the story of Elijah. Elijah was there and he had just come from a great victory. We remember the story where he challenges the prophets of Baal in terms of whose God is going to answer the prayer and whose God is going to come and light the fire on the sacrifice that's there. And so Baal's prophets, 400 of them, gather together on the mountain and they pray and they do all kinds of things trying to get their God to respond. And Elijah, not too subtly, kind of criticizes them, mocks them a little bit. And then God, Elijah calls them his God, the only true God. And immediately God responds and sends down fire from heaven to consume the offering as well as the rocks that were there. And all the prophets of Baal are killed. Now that's just prior to chapter 19. Elijah has had this great, great victory, but now the queen hears about all of this, and the queen says, Elijah has got to die. And she sends a messenger to tell him that he is going to be killed. Elijah, in panic, runs off and hides. And what does Elijah do? Well, he begins to underrate his work. Now, some of you need to hear the message this morning because some of you are thinking that maybe God is a long ways off. I titled this message, How to Find God. And the idea is, is that God is never lost. But sometimes we think that he is. Sometimes we go through our life and we wonder, where is God? As I go through the struggles of life, as I go through my own depressions, my own despairs, my own frustrations, 
where is this God who is supposed to be there and help me? And that's exactly what Elijah is going through. Those are exactly the question that, God, that Elijah asks. Where is God? And notice what he says there. Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, oh, here it comes, I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it. In other words, he's the only one left, God. We call that the Atlas Syndrome. Remember Atlas? He carried the whole world on his shoulders. And sometimes we go through this whole business that we think we've got to carry the whole world on our shoulders. We're responsible for it all. Or it's also known in the psychological circles as the Messiah complex. Like we've got to save everybody. We've got to save people from their difficulties. We've got to save people from their struggles. We've got to do it all. Sometimes parents, as they send their kids off to school, assume responsibility for things that they're not responsible for. If their kid gets in trouble, they feel it's their fault. Now, maybe it was, but usually it's the kid's fault, because he probably or she knew better. Or sometimes they think that if their child doesn't do exceptionally well in school, they are failures as parents. And we might call that the Elijah syndrome. Thinking, we're the only ones. We're not doing an adequate job. And sometimes we go through that in our work, in our struggles. Sometimes we feel that if we're not the super grade A number one salesperson, that we're a failure. We're just like Elijah, and we underrate really what we have done and what we are doing, and we underrate our whole situation. And the second thing is we exaggerate our problems. We focus only on the negative. Elijah, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. A grade A pity party that he is having. Story is told of the woman who calls up the stairs and says, Bob, it's time to go to church. You've got to get going. It's time to go. And Bob calls down from upstairs and says, Oh, I just want to stay here with Pastor Pillow and St. Mattress. <laughs> and and I, I really, I, I don't want to go to church this morning. And the lady calls up from downstairs again and says, Bob, come on, you've got to get going. It's time to go. And, Oh, it's just, they're going to sing weird songs, and I don't know. I don't know if I really want to go. Bob, it's time to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes we get ourselves in that kind of situation. The truth for Elijah is, is that there were 7,000 people who were still following God. If the queen had really wanted him dead, she wouldn't have sent a messenger 
to tell him that she was going to kill him, she would have sent a hit party. And she would have done it right there and then. And here he goes through this agony, and he goes through all of this. See, sometimes we use what we call emotional reasoning. If I feel it, it must be true. If I feel that I'm a failure, then I must be a failure. If I feel that I'm inadequate, I must be inadequate. If I feel that I cannot do the job, if I feel that everybody is out to get me, they must be. And maybe it's just bad pepperoni pizza that you had, or too much Mexican food that's causing the feeling. And see, sometimes we need to, we exaggerate the difficulties that we go through and we fail to take an ob objective, correct position of what's going on in our life. Why do I make a big deal of this? Because an awful lot of people, and maybe you're one of them, go through the thing, the feeling that God is not very close to me. If God were really close to me, then all of my problems would dramatically disappear. If God really loved me, then I wouldn't experience the tensions, the frustrations, the difficulties in my family. If God was really present in my life, and then you can fill in the blank with whatever it is that you're feeling. The reality is, is that we're exaggerating our problems. And the truth is, the truth is that God is there with us. But sometimes God allows us to go through the difficulties in life so that we learn to trust in him and to rely on him and not to rely on our own intelligence, our own abilities, our own gifts, our own effort. And so sometimes we, recognize, we need to recognize, we need to finally say, God, I need your help. God, you are present, because that's what he promises. The Bible does not say, if you know your feelings, if you understand your feelings, you will know and you will follow God. The Bible does say, if you are his disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you. That's what we go through. So how, do we, how did God help? What's God's road to recovery? Well, begin by telling God your frustrations. Take care of that emotional truth. In 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10, I, mean, I didn't print those all out there. God goes through and allows Elijah just to express all of his frustrations. And you heard that read earlier. I tried, I did all those things, God, and now you've abandoned me. All these things, I'm the only one left and they're out to kill me. He begins by saying, I have been very jealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've been, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. We can lay out our frustrations to God. God's not shocked. We're not telling him anything that he doesn't already know. 
God knows it. And sometimes when we swallow our emotions, our stomach keeps score. David, in the Psalms, and one of the great things about the Psalms, and you could just spend your lifetime just reading through the Psalms. David in the Psalms so often pours out his grievances and his concerns and his complaints to God. But David also recognizes that God is there. God will not walk out on you. God will be present with you. And number two, we need to refocus on God. And the secret is here is that you find him oftentimes in the ordinary. I love this part of the story with Elijah. God sends him up onto the mountain. And there on the mountain, there is this big fire that goes through. There is a mighty strong wind. There is an earthquake. All the things that you would imagine that Disneyland would put together to try to get your attention. It's fantastic times 10. And all this stuff is going on. And there's Elijah looking for God. And then the still, small voice of God comes and speaks to Elijah. Sometimes, sometimes I think I want God to do something really spectacular. So that all the people in the world who doubt him, you know, would come to realize that, that you know, this is God. Some imagine extreme thing that would take place. And yet, how does God come to us? Jesus was, was born as a baby. That's pretty ordinary, isn't it? Did any of you, any of you not come as a baby? Yeah, all of you did. Okay. He came in, in baby in, in the stable of Bethlehem. It's pretty ordinary stuff. God came to many of us as an infant at the, at the baptismal font. As, as water was splashed on our heads and God entered into our lives. Pretty ordinary. God comes to us in, in bread and wine of communion. Pretty ordinary stuff. God comes to us in his word, the Bible, and, and God tells us again and again and again of his power and of his love. The normal ways that we see that God comes to us. And what does God say to us? Number three. God tells us that we are to believe that he made you special. God sends Elijah back to work. Vacation over. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there anointed, he's got this whole list of people that he is supposed to take care of. God has made you special. Mathematicians have figured out that it is theoretically infinite number of ways 
that the DNA molecule can be come together to form who you are and to give you your characteristics. The number that they have come up with that it would be is the number 10 with 2 billion 400 million zeros behind it. 2 billion 400 million zeros. That was what it would be for a chance for somehow that DNA molecule to put someone together who was exactly like you. God does not make duplicates. If each one of those zeros was an inch, inch wide, it was written out, it would take a piece of paper 37 miles wide to write out that number. When God made you, he broke the mold. He formed you to be unique with the motivation and longings, the abilities and talents, your personality and your experiences. God made you the way he wanted you to be. And God has made you special. All these things come together to make you what God wants you to be. In addition to all of that, God gives you, God gives you special spiritual gifts. So number four, believe that God has a purpose for your life. You are a significant part of God's plan. Your life is not just some kind of accident. The Bible tells us that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God has given you a purpose, and you give glory to God when you do the things that God wants you to be doing. Elijah goes through this big pity party, and he complains about all the things that are going on, and I only, I'm the only one in the world to kill me, and oh boy, it's all terrible. And finally, God gets his attention in the still whisper. And wouldn't you like to know what God said to Elijah? The Bible doesn't tell us. When we get to heaven, that's one of the questions. Elijah, what did God say to you? Because Elijah goes out and becomes one of the greatest prophets and is oftentimes called the greatest prophet. And what does God do? God does not even allow him to die. God sends down the fiery chariot and picks him up and takes him bodily into heaven. This is the guy that complained. This is the guy that whined. This is the guy that was sucking his thumb and saying everything in the world is terrible. And see, that's the love that God has for us. We believe that God has a purpose in our life for which he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to rise again so that all of our sins could be forgiven, that God could give us that new life with him that goes on. And maybe what we need to do is what Elijah needed to do, and that's to listen. To listen to what God is saying to us. To listen to what God has in store for us when he tells us that we are loved, that we are forgiven, 
that he is going to be there with us through the good times as well as the bad. That we can trust in him because he is never, ever going to abandon us. But he is going to be there with us all the time. And so number five, believe that God sent you his son, Jesus Christ, into your life. Believe that God established a relationship with you. We walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus gives us the best he has to offer. Jesus gives us life eternal. That's the assurance that we have. That no matter what happens in this world, he's going to be there with us. And that he's going to forgive us no matter what we do, he is going to forgive us. And he assures us that we will have life with him. That we will have life with him forever. And ever and ever and ever. That's what God has for us. That's what God does. That's what the cross is all about. That's what God's forgiveness is all about. How do you find God? Well, you find God by letting him find you. Maybe in the still, small whisper of ordinary things, like reminding you of your baptism, or as we'll do in a few moments as we receive his body and blood through the bread and wine of Holy Communion. Let God find you. Let God find you in his word as he tells you that he loves you and that your sins are forgiven. Listen to him and let him find you. And let him give you the greatest gift he could ever give anyone, and that's his love. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have given to us. And Lord, sometimes like Elijah, we just want to cry and despair and get frustrated and discouraged. And we sometimes, like Elijah, have a pity party. Dear Lord, help us to always remember that you are a God who loves us, that you care for us, and that you're there with us. And dear Lord, thank you for giving us the greatest gift of all in your Son, Jesus Christ and the love that we have in him, and life eternal with you. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. We ask you to stand now as we confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in invisible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us.
proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.